We're recording! <laughs> Welcome to the Jubilee Street Podcast, where every week we talk about a different, I almost said Neil Young, we talk about a different <laughs> Nick Cave song. This week we're going to talk about his cover of Neil Young's Helpless. There is a town in North Ontario. I take comfort from memories there And in my mind I still need a place That's right, as everyone can tell, I am Ian, Jake is Jake, and we have a guest host this week. Uh Jake, this is your friend. I don't I don't know him, so who is this guy, Jake? Uh this is our illustrious guest. Michael Stewart, otherwise known as Stewart hey, Michaels. That's uh, me. From the Lively Shively House of 502. What it do? Uh, we're so glad <laughs> we're so glad to have you, Mike. This is going to be an awesome episode, I can already tell. Definitely. Yeah, uh, we we were talking about doing this Neil Young song. Jake was like, I know a guy who likes country music and Neil Young and I guess that was that. That's exactly that, what I said. I'm I'm that guy. I fit those boots. <laughs> to to start this off, I want to ask you two. Have you ever heard of the Sons of Lee Marvin cult group? Uh, no, I have not. I haven't either. So there's this actor from like, I, I think like the 50s named Lee Marvin, who's in like war movies and stuff. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about now. There is a secret group of people who all kind of look like him. Uh-oh, so you have... Yeah. Tom Waits, Thurston Moore, Iggy Pop, and then also Neil Young and Nick Cave. All part of the secret society. That's so weird. I think Tom Waits is the one who likes to talk about it the most, but he says they all, you know, meet up in these secret buildings and drink together. I love it. I love how stupid it is. Neil Young and Nick Cave, both part of it. I'm guessing that's why. Is this like a QAnon thing? What? Is this a QAnon thing or something, Ian? <laughs> this is a QAnon thing. This is the this is the proto the proto QAnon. This is where it started, huh? We all have yeah, Tom this was, Waits. Uh, Q is actually Tom Waits. That's what people don't really realize. <laughs> I didn't know he was on Trump's cabinet. So this week, I was listening to Neil Young a lot to you know kind of get in the mindset to record this. Heck yeah! And it was. Awesome. I felt really oh. anxious all week. Just look, we talked a lot about like current events last week. We're not going to do that again this week. Gotcha. But it's been a shitty couple months. For maybe sure. More than a couple months. And yeah. uh, man, just Neil Young's voice. So it's so emotional. Maybe so sad, but in a good way. It was just really cathartic Definitely. to listen to some Neil Young songs this week. Hey, Amen. I agree. I, I feel that way. You know, four times a week. So, <laughs> same here. I feel like I'm constantly in and out of a Neil Young phase. Uh, I oh was yeah, I was listening to After the Gold Rush probably nonstop Oof. for like a month or two, like back before COVID struck, and then perfect record. I always go back. I agree. It's it is perfect, like start to finish. I don't even like where it begins, it ends, and it just kind of I could put it on loop in the background and just pop in and start fucking jamming along the whole time or. You know, go back to whatever I'm doing. Helpless. Heck yeah. 
is incredible and i didn't know it but it's a i've never heard the song so it's a crosby stills nash and young song originally but nick yes, sir. Uh, neil young wrote it um i'm he surprised you never heard ones. it i don't mean that in like a shitty way it just i feel you like know, it's one of the bigger and it takes or neil young songs we're gonna get those names mixed up the whole time. I know I'm gonna keep <laughs> it over and over. It's Nick because Young and <laughs> it's because you brought up the sons of Lee Marvin. You cursed us, Ian. <laughs> you brought that that fucking alternative dimension shit, and you cursed us. Mike, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background with Neil Young and um, sort of lead into the? We'll talk about the song. Uh, sure. So I wish I remembered the first time I heard Neil Young. Uh, you know, it's like, I feel like everybody remembers the first time you, you kiss somebody or, you know, maybe the first time you drive a car or any of those things. And I feel like I should remember the first time I heard Neil Young. Uh, but I don't, I remember reading about him. I used to read, you know, I I liked Nirvana a lot and, uh, Kurt Cobain would get referenced as, you know, saying that Neil Young was one of his Mm -hmm. biggest influences, uh, and I feel like maybe while liking Nirvana as like an eighth grader, I put on uh, the needle and the damage done or something. And I was like, this is trash. You know, <laughs> like I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and I for sure didn't listen to Neil Young again until I was in my maybe like 20 years old. Uh, and I don't remember what I put on. It was probably Harvest. And it was the best thing I've ever heard. Oh, you know what it was? Uh, one of my old bands, Houses in Motion, covered a Neil Young song. And we were playing it, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then... What song what did you cover? Uh, so we did a couple. We we definitely covered Helpless. Uh, but we covered Rockin' in the Free World just because we were like a, a bar rock. I mean, we weren't rock. We were country. But, you know, it was like a, a bar band. So we yeah, wanted to play songs. You got to please the normies. I would be so stoked right. to hear that in a bar. I would be so stoked to hear oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't think about that now because my relationship with, like, classic music is, like, I had so much disdain for it growing up. So, like, I was like, oh, man, you know, we're just playing a classic rock sounding song. But now that I'm older and I realize that even even though to me that's classic rock, ish it like that would be one of the good songs to hear in a shitty bar setting so i never thought about it that way until this exact moment so usually or i guess not usually but on the t-rex episode we kind of with uh what was that guy's name jake oh that's uh actually i I think i think mike knows him uh, travis beck i think they might be of course i know trav there me and trav and this dude kyle and this dude Corey are in a band called pleasures of the flesh y'all are fucking awesome they put out an ep (sighs) at the beginning of the year uh the passover ep right oh yeah it's been so long since we've been in the same room with each other that i forgot about that but yes that ep is everybody check it out pleasures of the flesh (laughs) woo Uh, p-o-t-f So on that episode with uh, Travis, we gave some background on T-Rex. We don't need to do that, Neil Young. I would imagine everyone listening to this is probably somewhat of a fan. They're so so similar in a lot of ways. But I do want to give a little background on the compilation this song is on. Uh, It's called The Bridge. So Neil Young has two sons with cerebral palsy. uh, palsy. Is that how you say it? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so when they were getting old enough to, like, 
normally when you would go to school, him and his wife were looking around and there was no, they couldn't find any schools. I think they live in California that didn't feel like they were just babysitting the kids. You know, they wanted the kids to actually get like an education. Right. So Neil Young's wife at the time, Peggy Young, started a school for, you know, kids with cerebral palsy and different, uh, you know, disabilities. And they focused on, you know, a lot of people who have that can't speak. So they focused on other ways to communicate, um, like the computerized thing, like Stephen Hawking had, sign language, all kinds of different stuff. And the school was called The Bridge, and they would have, like, benefit concerts every year. And then in, uh, I think the year this compilation came out was 1989, they did a compilation uh, benefiting the school. So that's where this song comes from. The compilation has like Sonic Youth on it and the Pixies and all kinds of great bands. That sounds amazing. I've never heard of this compilation. Me either. I, I found out about it yesterday. Dude, there's so many cool bands on here. So that's, I had never heard of this song either until like maybe a couple months ago. I just kind of randomly saw it on YouTube. I didn't even know it existed. And it's not on any streaming services. Like this compilation isn't. I'm guessing that's because Neil Young probably has the rights to the songs. And I know he can be kind of weird with, you know, music streaming stuff. Right, right. So maybe this album has just been forgotten about. But so one to get at is the guitar player in the Bad Seeds at the time was Kid Congo Powers. Mm-hmm. He said this was his favorite Nick Cave track he played on the whole time he was in the band. Huh. Crazy. Uh, you know, That's really surprising a, to me. He said it was a bummer to him that, you know, people don't really talk about this song. Neil Young did a whole, I did it again. Nick Cave did a whole album of covers a couple years before this. And maybe because he had just put out a covers album, no one really gave this any attention. But apparently it's just kind of been forgotten about. So this will be a cool episode because... This is probably a song a lot of people listening don't even know exists. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out the whole comp. Is it on uh, streaming services now? It's not on. None of the songs, I think, are on anything. It's on YouTube. Oh, dang. Yeah. YouTube. Uh, okay. Good old YouTube-y. YouTube has all the deep cuts now. You can find almost anything on there. Oh, yeah. You can find anything. For yeah. sure. For sure. So Heck what yes. I thought was really cool is Kid Congo Powers is a queer black punk dude. You know, he played in the Gun Club and the Cramps and then the Bad Seeds just for a minute. This is not a dude who you would usually think likes country music. And he played slide guitar on this track. And it was uh, his favorite, you know, his favorite thing he ever did with Nick Cave. Uh, and I think that that goes to like Neil Young's influence, right? Like people who don't like the kind of music he does still love Neil Young. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so often... People will be like, you know, what's your favorite type of music? And I'll say probably country. And they're like, who's your favorite country artist? And I'm like, Neil Young. And they're like, he's not country. And I'm just like, sure he is. I mean, you know, he's he's got not country stuff too, but he's got tons of country stuff. And I think people don't uh, don't lump him into that in the same way. So I think it goes both ways where country fans don't give him credit for being country and then neil young fans also don't give him credit for being country because they're like well i like neil young and i don't like country so you know i think it it's a weird thing where people don't want you know he's got fiddles he's got slide guitar it's a lot of it's acoustically driven the structures and the you know chord progressions are 
country like i don't know what's not country about it but it does set itself apart you know from i guess things that people don't tend to like about country so i guess that's what makes it likable to a lot of people he's so unique like that like nick cave you know can tour with punk bands and he can tour with like you know cat power or patty smith or something and for sure like he's oh definitely he's taking sonic youth on tour and then he can also like go out with willie nelson there's not really anybody else you can say that about i'd kill to see a neil young sonic youth willie nelson (laughs) oh i know that'd be amazing i was reading this is a tangent but that uh so they say like 1991 is the year punk broke when like you know sonic youth and nirvana and green day it's not the year their biggest albums came out but it's the year they kind of started to enter the mainstream and i read that you know all those bands love neil young so much yeah so his like thank you uh for like kind of restarting his career getting younger people to listen to him was the album harvest moon which was like the softest album he had done in 20 oh, years. yeah totally <laughs> I think it's so funny that's just typical neil young to like zig when everybody else zags that's so true because like he was definitely in the middle of you know doing some heavy stuff i mean if you yeah. look at videos from that time he's got amp stacked you know super high and he's rocking out uh like uh what is it russ never sleeps i'm pretty sure that one's a pretty heavy one uh that's a live record but yeah he's like rocking and rolling and then right in the middle of it he's just like here's a little here's a little softy and it's i mean it's a perfect record i I said that about after the gold rush but they're all perfect records i guess to me i'll say that about all of them but uh but yeah that's totally true like everybody was experimenting with how fuzzy can you get and he you know i like how you put it he zigged when everybody else zagged he recently released a record i think it's called homegrown Mm -hmm. and it's a bunch of stuff from that Back record is harvest incredible. Time. That's an awesome okay. You record. have listened to it, yeah, yeah. It is stellar. A few of the songs have been on other records of his, so I knew them. Um, there's another version of Homegrown that's not on Harvest. Uh, there's a song called "Love Is a Rose," which so I have a, a great history with. Yeah, great song, great lyrics. Uh, so yeah, if if you know, j- just because we're on the topic, like everyone should go check that out it's good stuff yeah i can't i mean all the listeners from probably guests now we all love neil young his output from like 1970 to 1980 is just like not one single not even bad song not one single good song like everything is just amazing i know i know i agree we're gonna talk more like general today i think you know i have some questions and i know jake does too but this is probably a song most of you guys know and the cover isn't that they didn't stray that far from neil young's version there's a couple things we'll talk about me and jake talked a couple weeks ago about how nick cave is like really influenced by like american southern stuff he loves elvis presley he loves uh robert johnson the blues guitar player he loves faulkner and all the like american southern authors okay and neil young i think loves all that stuff too and tons of people do i want to talk to you mike because jake you know brought up that you were a southern dude who liked being from the south who's not like embarrassed of it like a lot of people are i grew up in the south too me as well i feel like there is 
this thing where like if someone makes art and they come from somewhere else they're like you have like ccr in california or wilco in chicago or there's tons of european people influenced by country music i feel like a lot of people like will respect it a lot they'll be like oh that's so cool they did like a country influence yeah definitely yeah if you're actually from the south and you play country people like don't think it has artistic value yeah i mean so you might have more follow-up but just my initial no, this isn't really a question i just wanted to see uh, if you if you felt the same way or like if that's something you ever thought about you know disappointingly honest and disappointing to myself i think a lot of genuinely southern artists are i mean i think a lot of artists in general are this way but so like leonard skinner i think leonard skinner has some great songs uh but they came from a plate place of great ignorance. Leonard Skinner is actually a great one to bring up because Neil Young and Leonard Skinner had a friendship, uh, you know, where they kind of joked back and forth with each other for a long time. Uh, but like Leonard Skinner for sure loves the rebel flag, you know, which I think is a terrible flag. I think it means nothing good, at, but there are those types of people uh, who they're like, you know, it's heritage. It's it's not hate for us. It's just we grew up in a time where it it meant something different. And like, although that that might have had some credence back then, and I can't say because I am, you know, I was born in '87, uh, so it's never had credence for me. Uh, it's always been a heritage of hate. I think that's maybe why people have that that thought about bands like that because it's like, oh, you're you're all the bad things I think about the South. Even if maybe you write decent music, you also have things I associate negatively with, you know, the South. And I think that when someone from the North does the style, they, you know, aren't associated with those bad things. And even though like Southerners probably associate some yuppie opinions with those bands, you know, like I think that the, the negative connotations for the South greatly outweigh, you know, the stereotypes of the North. Not yeah. that, I mean, there's plenty of negatives in everybody, but. No, that makes, that makes sense. And maybe that just has rolled over. I was thinking more modern things. Like I think Lucero does a similar thing to Wilco, but it's way better. Um, I think Avail, the punk band. Yeah. Are to be so huge and all these like folk punk bands that weren't actually Southern just did a watered down version of what they did and got way more popular. Uh, you but know, they did wax- it with a, a Northern accent. Like yeah. I think that people associate a Southern accent with ignorance. And I think that that's enough to, you know, turn people off. And just being from the South, it's really annoying. There's Waxahachie from Alabama. I don't see why she's not on the radio. I think if she was from like Portland, Oregon, she would 100% be famous. Yeah, I, know, I didn't realize they weren't famous. I thought she was. I mean, they she were is big. Fam- famous in the sense of like indie rock, but I mean, like, gotcha. I think she'd be a pop star if she wasn't. Oh, Alabama. gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah, it's like being from the South. It's just always been a thing that annoys me. I think if Nick Cave liked everything he liked, but was from Mississippi, I don't know if he'd be where he is today. Yeah, Even definitely all, not. All, like a lot of his influences come from that area of the world, and Neil Young as well. Well, and you know, I'd argue that 
the conversation we were having earlier about Neil Young not being considered country, I wonder how much that has to do from him. Like he's from Canada, but right. he's, writing, he's writing all these songs that are so like pastoral and, you know, kind of cowboy hat, you know, kind of vibe like, but it kind of starts to transcend that because if he were from Mississippi, like you said, Ian, it would be, it'd be a different thing probably, you know? Well, look like, um, who's a bigger star in the nineties than Shania Twain. And she's from Canada. And yeah. I think she's great. I'm not saying she didn't deserve it, but if she was from like Southern Tennessee, who know, like, I don't know. A lot of my favorite people are from Canada. True story. Neil Young. Oh, yeah. Canada, like, Totally pulls their weight as far as art goes. Like Maddie Matheson's from Canada. I love that guy. Is that Maddie B the the kid rapper from YouTube? I wish. No, uh, <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about though. Uh, no, Maddie Matheson. He's the big dude with tattoos who has like cooking shows, and he he's always oh, like yeah. he's always like he's not coked up, but you think he's coked up, and he's like, hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. He's just like screaming I... the whole time. <laughs> so so one, one thing I would videos. like. Oh, okay. Please do. One thing I would like to clarify before we go any further, I think we're using uh, country and the South interchangeably, and like Canada's full of country, you know, yeah. the North is full of country, but there is people associate the South and country so much because I feel like most of the South is country, whereas you know a, there are a lot of more major cities in the north and a lot more midwestern size towns in the north and maybe that's not even actually true but i can think of a lot more of them like there's a lot more i associate with the north and the south in that way but like neil young for all i know and i think he grew up in like ottawa or something so i don't have any clue what the vibe of that uh city slash town is but like for all we know he grew up in a shed you know, mm -hmm. and was country as fuck. He just wasn't Southern country, and which he's never thing, claimed to be. So that annoys me. Like, I don't know what it was like when Leonard Skinner, you know, was in their heyday. We're all younger than that. What's always annoyed me is that people associate like Southern culture with racism. Mm -hmm. And definitely, I have toured a lot. Uh, Jake or Mike, Jake was telling me that you've done some touring, and Jake, I know you. They moved all the way across the country. I have found that people are the same amount of racist, at least in 2020, pretty much everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And kind of going I don't think the that, South is any more or less racist than New York, you know? I'm really glad Mike brought up the, the point about country and Southern aren't interchangeable terms. And I'm guilty probably of making those kinds of assumptions myself music and like that culture can exist anywhere. And you know, the, the like style of the music, the instruments, the feeling, like it doesn't matter where you're from anybody. If you feel the music and you love making it, you can make it anywhere. But I think it's especially important for me to bring it up because I'm from Kentucky, but I, I don't really have a Southern accent anywhere. Anytime I've traveled anywhere, you know, I always kind of get I, people always just say I sound like a like a smart white guy. That's usually like you. Oh, you talk really <laughs> white or something, which obviously is hilarious. So I didn't. De I don't deal with any of the sort of other than when I tell people that I'm from Kentucky, they, they I I feel like a little bit of like if they're at all in tune with what's going on in Kentucky. Sometimes I might get like a dirty look, or they might make a sideways comment about Mitch McConnell. 
Um, like you have anything to do with that. But a funny story is, so when I moved to San Diego, it was really interesting because I was going through a really weird time. Uh, I just started dating my girlfriend Haley pretty seriously, and we were taking a pretty big leap moving somewhere together. But one of the reasons I would tell people, you know, they'd be like, so why do you want to move? What's, what's in San Diego? And I tell them, you know, I want change, but I also felt like I would say things like, I want to get out of Kentucky. It's racist here. And in hindsight, that's such an ignorant way to deal with a problem. But I'm glad I did it. And the the sort of pinnacle of the story is I get to San Diego and I have experienced in like passing remarks, attitudes, like some of the most racist behavior I've ever seen. And you have to leave home to realize that, though. I think a lot of people from the South think that and then they leave and they're like, OK, people are the same everywhere. There was a yeah, woman right. who walked up to me uh, the first the first week I worked at Whole Foods. And I remember her saying, like, oh, we love Kentucky. Your governor's doing a great job. And Matt Bevin, was the, gov- Matt Bevin was the governor at the time. <laughs> and so she, she yeah, I, well, I, I had to I like threw up uh, like I turned to the, <laughs> I turned to the side and threw up in my apron and I was like, oh yeah, sure. Uh, but then she started going off about like being like anti-abortion and I was like, all right, get the fuck out of here. But Oh my God. I, I really appreciate you, Mike, because I think you have like, if there were a perfect like Southern guy, it's you, you exude that. <laughs> you exude it oh so my. much. You're so, you're so like wholesome and nice and sweet. But you're also like a badass rock and roller and you know your shit and you're on top of it and you don't take any shit from anyone. And I think you kind of like embody all that, all that, all that, any of that negativity people could throw about the South, you completely just slice a sword through the middle of it. Well, I appreciate that. That is, <laughs> that is a phenomenal thing to hear. Did, I Wow. Ian knows I go pretty loosey goosey on the podcast. So if that came out of nowhere, uh, but I, I, uh, no, I, so when I was younger, I was like, I don't know about embarrassed, but like being, being from the South didn't mean anything to me. And as I've gotten older, I like more and more that that's where I came from. And too. I think there is a Southern culture and it's something that I appreciate more and more as I get older and I'm able to tie it away from like what people think of with the Confederate flags and all that bullshit. For sure. For sure. Now, most of our listeners are not even from America, so I'm sorry if that whole section was boring and didn't apply to you. We so also we will, love South America. That's Southern. We love True. South America. We love Southampton, England. Oh, for sure. Southampton, England is one of my favorite <laughs> areas. There's a cul-de-sac <laughs> there I used to skateboard in. I'm not even sure that they have cul-de-sacs in England. Yeah, they might. I don't know. They're just called. So, uh, they're just called like uh, going a wee bit of sack, huh? <laughs> all right. All all the listeners in England have now just like unsubscribed. Edit that out. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, fuck these guys. <laughs> um, so I don't know if you guys thought this on the Nick Cave cover of this. That slide guitar, you know, is really cool, but it has so much reverb on it i wonder if i don't know anything you know th- i think this came out in like 1988 or something i wonder if that was influential to like mazzy star or the cocteau twins at all there's Holy a bunch shit. of like shoegaze stuff in the 90s 
Yeah. That did that slide guitar thing. And I don't know of anyone doing it in the 80s, really. It, it's so funny you say that in the comments, uh, the video that you sent out, uh, somebody literally said, this reminds me of Massey Star. <laughs> so crazy. I mean, that's the first thing I, that's the first thing I thought of. They I said, have never put that connection before, but it so is. As soon as I saw the comment, I was like, whoa, like I was totally, I, I totally could hear it. I love Mazzy Star, Star too. They said the yeah, comment I mean, I love is, that one song. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I should have said, I like, like, Mike said exactly what I should have said. <laughs> I just said <laughs> one song. Music is like, I mean, they uh, instrumentally just, just do this, this Neil Young cover over and over and over. Yeah. Dude, just, for real though. That's hilarious. They, the comment said Mazzy Star mixed with knocking on heaven's door pretty hilarious <laughs> so i think it's the same progression yeah knock knock knocking on heaven's door yeah it's the same shit i saw an interview with that k congo powers guy he's talked about this song a lot i think it really means a lot to him and he said when they first got approached to do this compilation they wanted to go like destructive with the song almost like birthday party style and just like totally you know fuck up what the song sounds like uh -huh. and they were messing around with it and they decided to just go like super traditional and he he said the word schmaltzy like kind of cheesy and he said that he thinks this is the beginning of like the sound that nick cave kind of leaned into in the 90s which it is kind of cheesy not in a bad way but just like so overly sentimental uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. He he, he thinks this cover is kind of the start of the next era of Nick Cave sound. I it's cool to hear him say that. I would have loved to have heard what they would have done if they had been like spastic and birthday oh, party ish. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, but so cool. And almost you like know, Neil Young probably would have liked that more. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I wasn't sure when I was gonna drop this little bit of knowledge, uh, or you know, it's not necessarily knowledge. It'll be knowledge to y'all, I guess, but barely. I really didn't like the cover that much because it was so true to the original that I like. As such a hardcore Neil Young fan, I was like, I'd rather just hear Neil Young do it because it's the same thing. Like musically, it's not even that different, other than you know, Nick Cave. Nick Cave is what sets it apart. So when I heard it, I was like, well. If you don't like Neil Young's voice, like this is a great way to hear this song and have a different voice to listen to. But it was just like so true to the original that I was like kind of bummed. Like I got excited when I was like, oh shit, you know, Nick Cave covered a Neil Young song. It's but, essentially the the original with just a lot of reverb. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean it's cool. We talked about this with uh Travis on the T-Rex episode. Because I think that song, I think this is an incredible song. I would say it's one of Neil, Neil Young's best, but that would be among like 30 or 40 songs. But Definitely. the same as the T-Rex song, which I think is phenomenal. It's really hard. Like if you're going to do a Neil, uh, Neil Young cover, it's really hard to like pick one of his best songs and try to, it's already so amazing. For I sure. think when you're covering a great artist, you're way better off trying to pick like a lesser known song definitely yeah, and make helpless it your is own. Like, helpless is like a perfect song it's really hard to like touch it especially if you're doing yeah. a traditional version of it totally totally so yeah i had the same thought i really like the vibe of it the the that mazzy star thing is cool but yeah it's 
I like I just found it on YouTube not too not too long ago. I probably won't go back to it very often. Now Neil Young's like so just like pervasive. Like I feel like everyone, if you're into music, there's probably twenty or twenty five Neil Young songs you know. Definitely. Are there any are there any songs you can think of, Mike, for like people that might want to like dive in more? There might be a little like some hidden gem songs. Uh so one that I think is really cool, uh that's very different. It's a song called Ordinary People. Do y'all know that one? I know a live version. It's like really long. So that's the only version I know. Okay, um, okay. Then yeah, yeah. And so that's what I love about it. That song, so often I think, you know, the importance of long songs is like, you're like, man, I looked up and it was 10 minutes later. And I don't feel that way about that song at all. I like, I feel like I'm aware of every minute of that 18 minutes like it is a just mm. a long fucking you know and it's cool i like all the verses i love every time they go back into the you know the refrain i love the i think it's a saxophone uh it's a great song but i'm like fully into all 18 minutes of it I mean, i think a lot of times with long songs like the idea is that you get like lost in the you know the grateful dead thing yeah yeah and i just like it it has a jammy quality to it because it's so long, but I don't I don't usually get lost in it. I find myself being like, "Damn, is this not over yet?" And then I'm like, "Holy shit, it has ten more minutes!" Oh my god, <laughs> you know. So, but I think it's cool, and then I end up I like every ten minutes of it. So that's one I would suggest, just because I think it's cool. Another one from a record that I don't really I don't think anybody ever talks about this record, and I think I wish maybe the record is called this too. Uh, the song "Are You Passionate?" Do y'all know that one? I know that. I do not know. It is so like lyrically, it's not necessarily, but the sound of it it is a sexy song. Jake, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a while since I've heard it, but I used to listen to it at the Great Escape all the time. Oh, cool. So what I love so much about it, and you know, I mean, it's not like he invented this at all, but that doesn't change that I love it. It's a real soulful song, you know, it's it's slow, and the lyric line. You know, he says it at the beginning, are you passionate? And then he does his verse, and then the lead line comes in, and it's just his vocal line, but played on guitar. And, like, it's just so good. And I get that, you know, I mean, he wasn't breaking any ground. Like, it's a straight-up, just like an R&B-style little grooving song, you know, but it's still freaking great. Uh it's it's a it's a good one. So I, I would recommend that one. I think lyrically that one's really good and he sounds uh melancholy, which he does a lot, but he sounds it <laughs> yeah. in that song. I think that um, song sounds a lot like um Twin Peaks to me. Like it's got that uh, like tw- like the uh-huh. the guys who mm. like uh Angelo Badalamenti and David Lynch did the soundtrack for Twin Peaks together and there's a couple of tracks that are just like very like kind of riffy like you know romantic like grandiose yeah it always makes me think of that anyway i didn't mean to cut you off oh no no i'm i'm just going through the list so i don't want to name anything on the bigger records because i think everybody knows those uh i'm trying to think of my favorite one off hawks and doves um and i can't oh stay in power that's a good one okay everybody should listen to stay in power. Uh, I mean, everybody should listen to all of every one of his records, but stay in power is really good. And then I think lastly, uh, what was the record called? Uh, Psychedelic pill. That's the one. 
uh, so that that records with Crazy Horse, and yeah, cool. you know I had grown to love Neil Young probably six years before that record came out. I could be lying. It might've been eight years. I don't know. Uh, but that record came out. And I think leading up to that, I don't think I'd heard a new Neil Young record. Like even if he'd put them out, it was, a, it was that weird period where like, if you didn't download, or if, at least for me, if you didn't download music, it, you know, I didn't have Spotify yet or anything. Um, and psychedelic pill came out and it, it clearly sounds new but it also just sounds like Neil Young. Uh, all the songs are freaking long as shit. Yeah. And honestly on that one, I will say sometimes they get boring, but I find myself still being cool with it. Like I'm just, you know, I was so happy to have a new Neil Young record. Like it was cool. Uh, but yeah, they're just really long and groovy and, you know, having crazy horse on the record is cool. And I, I think that's a cool aspect of Neil Young that he, he has a band that he just kind of like picks up and puts down when he wants to. And so anytime he picks them up, you know, it's kind of like, Oh shit, it's a new record with crazy horse. Like what are they going to yeah, do done, this time? He's done three records with crazy horse since 2010, which is pretty cool. I think there was like a long time. And like before that, uh, huh, where he just hadn't fucked with them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And they're great. So I will. So what's really cool about Neil Young is the same, a lot of the same things as Nick cave. Neither of them have become legacy acts. Uh-huh. Like, Definitely. Even though Neil Young's not writing hits anymore, maybe, but he's way more relevant just, like, in the world than, like, a... For sure. A lot of his contemporaries. He's still... Oh, for sure. People still care what he has to say. He still just, like, exists in popular culture. So something I think is cool in that same vein, uh, and I think Nick Cave is... For sure, you know, I know this podcast is supposed to be about Nick Cave. Nick Cave is like 100% uh, this way. I think a lot of acts that were popular back in the day, even if they don't become legacy acts, as you said, or whatever, like, like so perfect example, Leonard Skinner, when they first came out, or, you know, for about 10 years after they came out, uh, they were like, you know, they were like the rebels again. I hate the association with the flag, but like they were definitely different. You got the idea. They were real country folk, you know, like fuck the police type people. And now like, I mean, this was probably 10 years ago, but they put out a record a while ago and I don't know when it was. And it's like guns, God and the government was <laughs> one of the songs on the record. They just became what, you know, cause I remember growing up, everybody's like Leonard Skinner sucks. Like country music is, lame and like you know the people that liked leonard skinner ended up being the lame people a lot of yeah. them at least uh and then i think leonard skinner became what the lame people would want to hear so maybe they were lame people all along and they just got lucky and fit into a you know niche or something but they did what a lot of people do i think once you've been a band for that amount of time there's only a certain amount of people that are still giving you money and going to the concerts and buying your merch so you Definitely. just give those those small group of people exactly what they want. And that was probably what those Leonard Skinner people wanted. I, another similarity between the two that I think is pretty cool is that they're both... So Neil Young is way more political than Nick Cave, don't get me wrong. And I gotcha. vibe with Neil Young on that stuff way harder. But they both have been pretty progressive. But it's never it's always felt very real and genuine, unlike... You know, a lot of people make these political statements for like some performative clout. 
I think a lot of stuff, like, I don't want to shit on anyone. Like, a lot of the stuff Taylor Swift does now, I think, is very performative. I've never got that vibe from either of them. And it's because they feel way more human. Nick Cave decided to play in Israel when everyone else didn't. And I don't know if I agree with that, but at least it shows that he was, like, thinking for himself. Uh, I was really surprised to see this. Neil Young supported Ronald Reagan when he ran for president the first time. <laughs> Whoa. And, That's crazy. And, you know, he later walked that back. But it shows that he wasn't just following a line of what everyone told him to do. Right, uh, right. And Neil Young now would never do anything like that. But it's just, I kind of like an artist that makes mistakes because at least, you know, they're real. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. As long as they're, you know, as long as they know how to approach the mistakes they made and acknowledge it uh, and not just, you know, double down, then yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, I I looked up the Ronald Reagan thing and by 1990, so what's that, 30 years ago, he was uh, Uh walking it back really hard. Yeah. He realized realized pretty quick. But also another thing to think about is Neil Young was a huge celebrity when Ronald Reagan was running the first time. I mean, he still is, but even more so then. It could have been a situation where Neil Young had so many causes he has spent his whole life fighting for. Maybe Ronald Reagan was like, we're going to give tax breaks to farmers. You know, it could yeah. have been something. Oh, for sure. That. And for I sure. get that. He he is playing to he was probably playing to Neil Young's sensibilities and stuff like that. And I mean, Neil Young know. has devoted his entire life to like amazing things. And he he recently released a song. I just saw this, so I haven't listened to it, but it's called Looking for a Leader. And it's in the picture. It's an upside down American flag on a flagpole. I mean, he's been trolling, you know, all of he's he's been very outspoken about this stuff for a long time. And even for a Canadian guy to be so involved in American politics is is really interesting. Well, you know, I think he's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Canadian. He's lived in California for probably 50 years. He has a house in Hawaii, I think, too, or he did have a house in Hawaii. I want to ask what you all think this song is about. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking like bands that I grew up really liking that maybe don't mean as much to me now. So I was thinking of one in particular, AFI, which I don't know if people listening from other countries are familiar, but they're like a punk band. And I was really into them when I was younger. And as I've gotten older, every year they kind of mean less and less to me. Because like when I listen to their songs now, it just feels like goth Mad Libs. Like none of the words feel like they mean anything. Man, just, man, like, that's so. That's hilarious. Goth Mad Libs is so accurate. Yeah. Um, you got to save that for a song or something. That's brilliant. <laughs> I think there's like a fine line between like pop bullshit where like the song doesn't mean anything, and then a song like this where it means everything. I think like. Anyone can write a good song about a specific thing. Like I could write a song about uh, my cat dying or like for a first girlfriend and I can communicate that to the listener and they know it's about my first girlfriend and it's a good song. Neil Young has this way of writing songs where like you don't even really know what they're about, but they mean whatever you want them to mean. And it's so powerful. It's so hard to do something like that. And yeah, I don't really know what this song's about, but it makes me feel so many things. So if it's cool, I'll start because I have a couple ideas. Um, Yeah, I I have nothing. I just know the song makes me feel ways, but I don't know what it means. I think you, I mean, you just basically said it. Uh, 
this song makes me feel so good. And I've, I usually try to listen to a track we talk about on the podcast in different settings. So I'll listen to it on my drive home from work. I'll listen to it walking uh, my dog, Blue, who, yes, even though she's an intern, I do have to take her out from time to time. Uh, <gasps> we, we believe in workers' rights. I believe in workers' rights here on the Jubilee Street podcast. Equal opportunity employer. Equal opportunity. Oh, opportunities. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was listening to this song. I probably listened to it 10 times since yesterday in preparation for the pod. I was like, what the fuck is this song about? Like, it just seems like choosing the word helpless as the title and the chorus slash refrain is really important because then you have lines like, uh, there's a town in North Ontario with dream, comfort, memory, despair. And in my mind, I still need a place to go. All my changes were there. So the first verse right off the bat, you've got a complete shift in tone within four lines you know it sounds like it's going to be reminiscent and then it kind of sounds like there might be some pain because changes were happening there and then the pre-chorus big birds flying across the sky throwing shadows on our eyes and then the chorus is leave us so my impression of this song is that there is a, a something about home or a place that you feel like so, like is home that can also feel like a backwards kind of prison where you feel like you're, you know, the chains are locked and tied across my doors, baby, baby, sing with me somehow. Can you hear me? It's like you get stuck in this place and it could be about the creative process, writing and how like your hometown is so important to who you are. But when you look back on it, you can look at everything differently. Like there are things that look different up close and at a distance. So that's kind of my impression from talking with you guys so far and uh the listening to the song the genius of neil young in so many of his songs is like he says like a town in north ontario obviously this means something really specific to him but he doesn't tell you what that is he just lets you get whatever you want out of it but because it's coming from a real place from him whatever you feel is going to be genuine yeah that's uh, and he does that in a lot of songs like you can tell it's really specific but he's not telling you exactly what it is yeah definitely yeah I mean, honestly, I don't even have a lot to add to what you said, Jake. I've never even put that much thought into it. Uh, I don't mean like, you know, obviously I hear it and I think about it, but the chorus. I don't think Neil Young's that kind of artist where you like mull over the lyrics. Right. And like literally the chorus is one word and I feel like he's he's reading me a book like of emotions through that one word. And, you know, it (laughs) helps that he's got the, the backing vocals, but like it all just ties together to be this like you know, punch to the chest. It's a fucking uh, badass song. It's just a badass no, song. It really Something is. It does, I think is amazing. I didn't notice until we were pre- preparing for this. And everyone listening, like, go listen to the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young version. In the choruses, you have that background vocal, the helpless, helpless, helpless. Uh-huh. And the last chorus, I never noticed this before, they cut out. It's just helpless, helpless. And they... Give this little space to Neil Young's voice to be by itself before they come back in with like the next helpless. Uh-huh. And something about it is just so beautiful. It's I so agree. cool. It's just that yeah, little agree. touch that like makes that last chorus like so epic. For sure, for sure. 
no, I, I for sure agree with that one. Uh, and I do, I know what you're talking about there because yeah, it stands out. Doesn't that, doesn't it end up trying? Maybe I'm thinking of a different version. Does the Crosby Stills Nash and Young one fade out? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think they just keep doing the chorus over and over. That's a that's a good fade out. Hearing Neil Young sing anything is great. I'm totally happy with the fade out there. I was thinking about <laughs> like sure. his voice is so great that like if this song was a cappella, I was thinking of after the Gold Rush, like the actual song. Uh-huh. I like. It's got a piano, but that song is pretty much a cappella. Like the piano oh, yeah. solo, a lot of his songs he could just sing by themselves, like with no instruments, and I'd still love them just as much. Definitely, no, I completely has, like, agree. Just the best voice. What was the what was the name of that really long song you were talking about, Mike? Is it um Ordinary People? Ordinary People. I was thinking about Nick Cave and Neil Young this week, and I think there's a lot of songs where Nick Cave is like. Paying homage to Neil Young. I hadn't thought of this one, but he has a song, Nick Cave, called uh, Babe, I'm on Fire. And it's like 18 minutes. And the verses are really short. There's like 80 of them. And I think that song, I don't think it's a very good song. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, But I think that song, he's trying to do like an ordinary people thing. Okay. There's another song that you should check out, Mike, if you don't know it. It's called Higgs Boson Blues. Oh, I like the name. And great song. Is it newer? It's uh, like seven or eight years ago. Yeah, new, okay, newer. Yeah, yeah in, in, in the scope of him. Uh, it starts off with I think it's the same exact chord as on the beach. That uh, like guitar strum by itself. Uh huh. It might be the same chord progression as on the beach, which I was looking up to see if there's any if he's ever talked about it, and. It looks like last year, Nick Cave gave a list of his 10 favorite songs ever. He said they, he called them hiding songs, like songs that meant so much to him that he hid a part of himself in the song. And one of them was on the beach. So I'm assuming it is like a direct homage. That's pretty awesome. The lyrics, I think, are a straight up homage to Revolution Blues, which I think they're on the same record. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Like in Revolution Blues, I wrote down, he says, I see 10, or I see bloody fountains and 10 million dune buggies coming down the mountains. Yeah, uh-huh. that song's Nick Cave amazing. says, 100 black babies running from his genocidal jaw. And it's like the same cadence. I think it's straight mm. up just like an homage. I, I love that. Was really, yeah, and I, I'm, I bet now if I think about this and go and listen to Nick Cave stuff, there'll be a lot of like direct homages. Any listeners, if you know of any, let us know. I love Yeah, when- yeah, definitely. I love when bands do that. Like when they pay homage to artists they love, it captures a feeling, but it still feels kind of fresh. And I like, I just uh-huh. like when bands do that. Um, Definitely. I completely agree. Uh, this band is canceled nowadays, but the band brand new did that with a cure line. Oh, uh, nice. oh yeah. Close and, to me. Yeah. And I just remember yeah. like hearing it and I was already a cure fan and when they say that line, you know, they say it, like you said, with similar cadence and it kind of it like they say it and trail off before the next part comes in. And I remember just being like, holy shit, like, that's really cool that they did that. And, you know, now fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. But, yeah. you know, there was a time where that experience was not tainted. So let's wrap things up. Um, I want to thank Blue, our intern dog, for doing all the research for this episode. 
And she sent me the email. She got me, you know, like ready for this. She sent me the Zoom link mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, to close things out, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on here. It was really nice oh. to meet you. And thank you for having me. I would love to have you back someday to do another song. Uh, I would love it. So last question, just closing. Do you have a favorite Nick Cave song or, and or a favorite Neil Young song? Also, you got to so, rate, you got to rate the, the song we talked about. Uh, okay. You have to rate help us uh, out of, yeah, any, any way you want. Out of 10? Out of 10. Uh, so is a five out of 10 neutral? Yeah. So I'm going to go five out of 10 because it's absolutely not bad. Uh, oh, the cover, but the I cover just, covers a five. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, so the song is a 9.25 out of 10. But the cover is a five out of ten, and I'm only saying nine point two five out of ten because I'm sure that there's a, a different song that I would want to say is a ten out of ten. So I can't. I, I can literally say every song is a ten out of ten, and it's Neil Young, and you know that's yeah. not fair. Like then the rating system, then I have to be more specific, and you know all my nine point two fives turn into fives, and you know it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated system. Um, uh, so yeah, that song is is a nine point two five, and the cover is a, f- a five. Uh, what else? Uh, there was more to this question that I I've already forgot. A favorite Nick Cave and Neil Young song? Oh if yeah, you have, if you have ones. Okay, so my favorite uh, Neil Young song probably changes quite often, but the one that I think I sing more than anything, and I'm I'm gonna have to have y'all tell me what it's called because i'm not even sure but it's the first song on harvest moon somewhere on a desert highway oh, yeah. she rides a harley davidson yeah oh i know it's that just song. such a fucking i mean that song it's whimsical. the background vocals on that song too oh. unknown legend yeah unknown legend there we go right oh, after that's yeah. the one about hank and and yeah that's a good shit right there um, and that album has a song about its dog that's so good. Yeah, yeah. There's, that album's great. And that one about uh, war. War that of one's man. on there. Yeah, war of man. Yeah, that song's Hell epic yeah. in a way Neil Young usually isn't. Oh man, I know. I agree. Um, and then my favorite Nick Cave song. I think this is like totally. Uh, it shows how little I know about Nick Cave, but. Nick Cave, and I think this maybe is one of his more popular songs. I don't actually know for sure, but in, you know, 1997 or 99, whenever Scream the movie came out, there was a song called Red Right Hand in it. And for years, I knew that song and associated that song with Scream before I ever knew who Nick Cave was. Um but I've always liked that song. It's really, it's just a good song. And it's, uh, it's the same thing uh, Travis said. And I would agree with that. I think he's like the rare artist where his most popular songs, probably his best song. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a great song. It's got those bells in them, you know, like it's just a cool song. Uh, and I don't know what the vibe of that song would mean to me out of the context of the movie because I can't ever, you know, erase the context for me, but like it's in a horror movie and it's in a horror movie that I grew up loving. It's a cheesy horror movie, but you know, it like paid homage to a lot of slashers and stuff like that. It was also in the X-Files. I don't know if you're a fan of the X-Files. It's a horror uh, TV show. No, I've never, I'm just <laughs> kidding. The 90s. No, I actually love the X-Files <laughs> so, so much. Um, but I think 
I didn't watch the X-Files until, you know, five years ago or so. So, yeah, I definitely heard it and screamed first. But it's a great song regardless. So that's going to be my answer, even though, you know, I'm sure to a real Nick Cave fan, that's, a you know, worthy of sticking your nose up to. And there's, there's no gatekeeping in the Jubilee Street family. I think that's a great awesome. answer. Awesome. Awesome. We'll, we'll let you get out of here and uh, fix your plumbing emergency. Sweet. I, once again, I, thank you for coming on. I want to stress... It's fun listening to y'all. Uh, it's so much fun being a part of this. I definitely, if y'all gave me some time in advance, I would become an expert on another song just so I would have a reason to be on this podcast. So. Hey, uh, we'll make it happen. You know, Jake said you were a, big, a country music guy. Uh, Nick Cave has a Johnny Cash cover, so maybe we'll have you on for that. Awesome. Sounds great. Mike, we, we love you so much, and I'm sure Ian's uh, already a big fan of yours already. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. Uh, I just want to say Mike Stewart is a musician. He's in a band called Pleasures of the Flesh. He's in a band called The Wax Intellectual. I don't know if they're still active. Um, is, he, is Vader Bomb still a band? Yeah, well, they're still a band, but uh, it's Mike's not in it. Uh, some people think uh, that he record he records them. He records them, yeah. But so in um, the in the parallel dimension I'm from, Vader Bomb yeah. is massive. I don't think they're as big here. But I'm talking about like on WWE on like national TV, massive. And kind of uh, like Mike. Does Mike record? Does he have a studio on this? He dimension? has a studio. It's a House of Wax. Uh, so yeah. So studios. in the parallel dimension, uh, Mike is. You know, I know Mike Stewart. He's become a fairly notable, like sound engineer. Uh, and he broke through from doing all his work with Vader Bomb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, he was a great guest. Thank you, Mike, for being on. That yeah, was he, he's in a dozen bands. He's a phenomenal guy. He uh, Jubilee Street Pod forever. Check us out. JubileeStreetPod at gmail.com. Send us any questions or concerns. Leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen. Check us out on Instagram at Ian McCurtis at Orange Gemini underscore on Instagram. We have a link tree. Everything's in there. Just go to our uh, Instagrams, our Twitter bio. Any, any, we have a Facebook page I just set up. Check us out. Follow us. Like, subscribe. Love you. Bye. Helpless, 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 helpless. Tied across the door